back to 64, a chess podcast. This is David coming at you live from the great state of Illinois. Rejoining the podcast today is my favorite Scotsman and uh, apparently an Olympic champion. Didn't know this. Found this out with everybody else a week ago. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Dodgy. Hi, David. It's good to see you again. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me back. I'm glad to be here for the second time. Yeah. I can't believe you made the same mistake twice. What mistake? you got to learn. What mistake? Inviting me back again. Oh, I the mistake... none of the other podcasts made it made this mistake twice. So, uh, I thought the mistake was would be that I called you Scottish because we know you're Swedish. So, yeah, I'm getting close to being Swedish. To be honest, I can I can actually apply for citizenship this year. So I could I could actually be Swedish by the end of the year, but I'm not a huge fan of paperwork. So, no, they're but that's what Twitter's for. Well, actually, you can basically do paperwork on Twitter now with all these long tweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm. Well, you really. So last time I was on, you accused me of being Swedish, and this time you're gonna say that you enjoy the long tweets. Like this is a way more offensive. <laughs> the worst thing that Elon has done to that website, my favorite website as well. Twitter is by far my favorite website. Is he's removed the economy of words from tweets, which is what made them so beautiful. Like people actually had to right you know in a economical way so that sentences were well written and now you can write four thousand characters and people just waffle and it's always the wordiest people who waffle even more so yeah i'm in a bad mood now well it's it's a capitalism of words you know people who have more words to say that's why i started a podcast i talk too much so you got to find a place to talk a lot yeah, but this is an appropriate outlet for people who talk too much. Podcasts are where they should be. They shouldn't be on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, is Olympia Urkan, I think he's been writing these recaps on Twitter. And I love his work. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of his work. But it, to me, it's just like, could you just write a blog post at that point or a Substack? Well, you apparently not anymore with Twitter because Twitter apparently is banning Substack links. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is and actually... that's like, and that that's yeah, that's a very good example actually, because Olympia can write a good line, he can write good one-liners. He has he's had very good tweets in the past, but now he's getting significantly more wordy. And honestly, I think the quality drops. I think you know, tweets should be short, snappy. I mean, that, yeah, good. that I I I just you know, this is a chess podcast, but it is it is funny to me how it seems like he Elon like has completely. For a guy who's on Twitter all the time, I think he really just does not understand how it works. No, he spent an incredible amount of money on something that he doesn't understand. Um, yeah, like the UI looks like crap, and and like all of the, now you're gonna have three badges probably by the end of the year next to your name, and like I don't know, I I, I don't really understand like a lot of these choices. Like, you know, the funny thing is actually, I'm not gonna say it was like rooting for him when he bought Twitter, but I thought naively that maybe having one person in charge like a, a, just one person to look to as like mr twitter or mrs twitter you know it doesn't matter to me but just like having that one person in charge like i thought you know would probably be good in terms of accountability because like with facebook when mark zuckerberg was like in charge he was the guy you know you could say mark this is your fault when facebook does something bad and then when it becomes like a board of directors you know then it's like everything gets kind of obfuscated and all that obscured and blah 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 big words so um yeah but i mean he's he's completely messed it up <laughs> he's had a better on it 
Yeah, I mean, when he first announced he was going to do it, I thought, to be honest, like, this is just all... Like, he does the memes and stuff, and then eventually, you know, once he takes over, he'll get down to business and things will be more serious. And You know, I think Twitter was not exactly making a ton of money, so there needed to be changes, but, yeah, I don't think any of his changes have been positive. It's very difficult to find something that he's done that's actually made the website a better place. Other than, mm, um, he's allowed longer videos if you yeah. subscribe to Twitter Blue, which is kind of interesting because, yeah, they were very limited how long the videos could be on Twitter, and he has changed that a bit, which it could be something there. I also like the community notes. I think that that's like a really, really cool feature because, you know, even they've gotten him on it, he's lied about stuff, he's lied about Substack, like when he banned Substack links, and then it just says community notes. This person is a liar, basically, is what it says. And it just provides links. I think that's, mm -hmm. like, so excellent. It's, like, exposes so many people as liars across political sphere, politicians, whatever. Anybody who has a big tweet that's, like, misinformation, people go and try to verify that thing. And so many of these things just, you know, you don't take it down. But it's just, you know, the greater public just says, hey, this is fraudulent. You know, all these, like, deep fake videos on Twitter that people make of politicians and stuff. It's like, this is a deep fake. This is the source video. And I, I don't know. I think that's like, honestly, it's like fantastic. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's I, true. That, is, that has been a positive change. I don't think it's entirely deliberate on his part because he seems to get caught out by it. But anyway. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he kind of thought like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm the real truth teller. And now they've been getting his ass on that a few times. So but I mean, that's that's good. That means that means it's working the way it should work at the end of the day. You know, he's not like trying to hide it or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, on the topic of honest corporations, uh, let's talk a little bit about FIDE and this uh, this world championship. Um, I don't know. This game three ended today. I'll probably have this out tomorrow or during the rest day. Um, what do you, what what's your impression of the whole thing after these you know first three days or so plus rest days? Okay, I don't know where to start really. Um, Why don't we start I... with the uh, marketing? Yeah. Okay. So I think the marketing for the the match has been suboptimal, shall we say. And I think we should be a little bit charitable towards Fide and that not having Magnus is a blow. Like, this is just the reality. He's by far the biggest name in chess. Still, he's the guy who brings in the eyeballs, so losing him is an issue. And, it, it like, we can talk about it all day, but it's an issue that we don't have to deal with. Um, And it's an issue that Fide has had to deal with. So when you're having to deal with a problem that big, like losing the by far most prominent person in the sport, um, I don't think it's an easy problem to solve. But I don't think they've really made any significant attempts to solve that problem. I think Ding and Nepo are both very interesting people. I think they're both very interesting chess players. And Nepo in particular is super opinionated. He's a funny guy. Um, he's if uh, if Nepo had beaten Magnus to be become world champion, I think he would be like a good world champion, and he would be good for chess because he'd be a huge star too. I mean, because he has the he has the charisma too. He's funny, like he you know he he like you said he may like remember the Sinkfield Cup when the whole Hans thing happened and he was kind of like he was giving these kind of snarky comments that everybody could kind of read between the lines but that's like you know he has that kind of he he but he, he I guess he understands how to you know 
how to be a, a sportsman in the press or something. Yeah, yeah. He's he's good in interviews. He's you know, he has a good sense of humor. Um, I think chess would do fine with him as world champion. Um, and Ding is obviously a little bit more shy. He's he's less confident with his English, although to be honest, I think a lot of people fell in love with Ding over the past few days with his press conference. He seems or t- just today like- I learned that he uh he refuses a translator. He's just trying to speak, you know, from the heart, just use the words that he could use in English, even though it's not amazing, which to me like I have some, you know, I have some some takes on on his performance so far. I think I mean actually game three, I think today did a very good job. Um, but um that that really won me over, I'll say. That that really that that's like to me is very, very impressive. That that he doesn't not not that using a translator is wrong, but the fact that he, you know, I think is part of him trying to just you know, stay determined and, and just try to, you know. Break into that side of you know he's working with rapport and they talk in English so I I think that that's really cool I'm like that that really was like a really cool thing to learn so yeah no I, I agree and I I think his English is definitely good enough he, I don't think he's like obviously super confident in his English but he's definitely perfectly understandable and he's very honest in his interviews as well which again is a really good quality uh, in an athlete to get kind of good content out of of him for the media so like i think these two guys are although they're not as, as prominent as magnus like there's definitely they definitely bring a lot to the table they bring a ton of value um and you know we should be able to promote them enough so the the way fide has kind of promoted this match has been i think you could probably describe it as fairly amateurish um, I think of the lot the the website was launched very very late. Uh, I think maybe ten days before the match started. There was very little on social media from Fide. Um, in the weeks leading up to the match, I think uh, Levy Rosman was basically the main promoter. Yeah, of the funny. match. <laughs> um, and I think realistically, it's because he thought it was funny. Like I don't think. <laughs> I'd love if we lived in a world where Fide were like, you know, you should promote this match for us. We'll give you some money. Let's go. Uh, because he is the, you know, the biggest chess content creator in the world, but streamer, YouTuber, whatever you want to call him. Um, but he is incredibly prominent and brings in a huge amount of eyeballs to the, to the game. So if Fide were smart enough to hire him to promote the match, that's the that's a power move. That's that's that'd probably be enough to replace Magnus, realistically, in terms of like the numbers that Levy brings in. Yeah, it, it would change things. Um, but I don't believe that they did. That. <laughs> um, like, uh, also remember the chess boxing thing. I think he was a commentator that that definitely helped a ton. And in, in uh, you know, I mean, it was a Ludwig thing too. He's a huge YouTuber, but still, I mean, yeah, like you said, I think like getting Levy or people like that involved would I agree would help a lot. Yeah. And I, I saw a tweet where um Emil Sotowski, the CEO of Fide, uh, said that Levy was more than welcome to come to Kazakhstan, which is a positive thing. Um but I don't I mean I I don't know what happens behind the scenes, I can't say, but I mean personally if I was uh, in that position I would be doing everything in my power to get Levy to Kazakhstan. Um and you know, there is money in this match. This is a two million prize fund match. 
the organizational costs are pretty significant. Um, so, you know, getting people like Levy or Hikaru or Agad Matur or any of the other big streamers out to Kazakhstan, I think would be a significant step towards, you know, people paying attention to it. But it doesn't seem to me like the FIDE are particularly interested in that. Um, and I guess that comes back to the, comes to the main point is that my impression is that FIDE don't need people to watch this match. Um, I don't think their main sources of sponsorship are particularly reliant on the general public following these things, um, which means that they are not super incentivized to make sure that as many people as watch, watch the match as possible. Um, and for the rest of us in the chess world, that's kind of sad because uh, the World Championship match is special, and it's the only time that chess gets into the mainstream media uh, for chess reasons. So chess gets into the mainstream media for cheating. It gets into the mainstream media for sexism and pretty much nothing else. Like occasionally, you know, if a, a youngster beats Magnus or someone very strong, it will make like a local, maybe national news. But that kind of stuff never makes international news. It's never... It's never that big. Um, so the match is the only thing that gets kind of broad international coverage. And I don't feel that, like the FIDE are really exploiting that enough. The biggest story of the match is that Magnus is not playing, like, realistically. Yeah, but I mean, I, like like you said, I don't think they really care at all. Because, first of all, you, you do a little bit ho of homework about, uh, you know, the head of the Kazakh Chess Federation or Freedom Holding Corp or think about why is this event in Kazakhstan and why did they, you know, kind of, I think it was kind of set to be in Mexico City, all but set to be in Mexico City. Uh, and then it subtly changes. And now it's Kazakhstan. Um, if you kind of under, you know, I've talked a lot about a certain geopolitical situation. So all I will say is do some do some of your homework, guys, and and uh, you will kind of understand that there's a there's a thread of connection here between these sponsors and Fide. There's there's one consistent thread here. So I, I in this sense I completely agree with you. I I would even go farther. I don't even think it's about incentivization. I genuinely don't think they care because they got their money from the, their sponsors. They have everything where it needs to be. They just are going to have their next world champion at the end of this. And that's good enough for them. I don't think they, you know, I, I don't think they really care at all about how many people they say they do. But I mean, I was looking on Twitch, the Fide Chess stream with Vichy and Dubov as the commentators. Nobody's watching that. Nobody. I mean, people watch the chess.com broadcast. People watch on kick with Hikaru. More people are watching on kick with Hikaru than they are on the, the Fide channels. I mean, that's just embarrassing. It's it's completely embarrassing. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I'll... Uh... I'll, I'll stick up for Fide a little bit here. Um, I'm clipping the, that, by the way. I'm clipping that. I'm sticking up for Fide. <laughs> <laughs> so they they do have better numbers on YouTube than Twitch. Um, there's a few thousand I've been watching every day on YouTube. Um, but great. yeah, they're significantly behind uh, chess.com. On Twitch, they're significantly behind chess.com in almost every language. Um, I believe chess.com in uh, streams in Portuguese, Turkish, uh, German, French. All of these languages are bigger than the English FIDE broadcast. Um, which you know, it's a big match, but still, like this, they're absolutely dwarfed by the Chess.com 
broadcast and also it's running on the chess 24 channels it's the same broadcast it's still the chess.com stream with uh, daniel anish and david howell today um but on the chess chess 24 broadcast it's still being bigger than the feeder ones so they're not they're not getting any kind of numbers there um but when on the first day of the match i was curious of kind of what the numbers were going to be so I looked on Twitch and I thought I saw the FIDE one was maybe, I don't know, the 15th biggest stream that was streaming to chess. And I looked on YouTube and obviously YouTube doesn't have the same live discoverability as Twitch. You can't just go to a page and you see all the live streams. So it's a little bit more complicated. So I typed in chess on the search bar and then I filtered by uh, the live streams. And then I sorted it by highest viewers to lowest viewers, just to see kind of where everybody is. And I scrolled down the list and I could see, you know, there's a bunch of Chess24. I think Levitov were doing it on YouTube. I think there's a few kind of different streamers. And FIDE doesn't appear on the list. I thought, hmm, that's weird. And then I went to the page. I saw, okay, they're live. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I, you know, dug around a little bit deeper. And there's a very obvious reason. And it's that FIDE doesn't call it the Chess world championship they don't use that word so if you type in chess on youtube you don't discover the free day stream because that's not a word that they seem as to think is relevant to the match well they have e-checks in fide so you should know that right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but i mean from an seo point of view it's not gonna do it <laughs> yeah you have you kind of have to put world chat i mean just put World Chess Champion. Well, because they have to put FIDE first. So even if you put FIDE World Chess Championship, just do that. Nobody knows what FIDE World Championship is necessarily. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think my understanding is they wanted to copy FIFA. Uh, with the FIFA World <laughs> Cup. But, you know, everyone knows who FIFA are. Because... They have video games named after them. <laughs> and, and, or, yeah, and or, there's, no free, there's no game named after FIDE. There should be. <laughs> I'm going to create FIDE 24, where you you play create create a chess player and you, uh... dude, that's actually an amazing idea. Holy cow! You get to pick his openings. You get to pick how much time he spends on studying, and you get to pick his seconds. Yeah, this is a great idea. Yeah, it's incredible. Chess you... manager, chess manager 2024. I think we should do it. Well, it's been announced here now. If you steal it, I mean, I'm I, this is this. If you steal it here, I'm I'm suing. I'm, I'm Hans Niemann anybody. Who I want to do this different. for next. Yeah, I want to actually do this as a, a real game. Wait, so we should actually like do this. Yeah, call this out. We'll, we'll get chess.com behind it. <laughs> we should like definitely do this. would be funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What about the chess? Like, what do you think? What's your impression? I mean, I, I, obviously, everybody has talked about game two. Everybody has talked about Ding's mental state. I, for one, have gone on a number of rants about um, the chairs. I think that from a marketing perspective, it's dreadful. It's awful. I also think the players should should just, you know, if if you're going to sit, if it's an over-the-board championship and people stress that this must be an over-the-board championship, then why aren't the players mostly over the board? It's a horrible look. Just They could just be in their own room in Russia and China, just transmit the moves to each other, sit in their room and do it that way, or just play in their computers and have like two hours, whatever. They put cameras all over. It's not like that matters. They have cameras everywhere. Like that doesn't matter. And the venue also is just like it's one big weird room. Uh, like you know, I I thought that the expo thing last year was kind of weird, but at least they had an audience there. They you know, it's now it's like just it looks like just 
a hotel lobby or something. It's very, very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh... Yeah, it's difficult. Like the the players are definitely not at blame. Um, if you give them somewhere to relax, they're going to use it. So I don't think the players should have any responsibility here. Uh, they're just they're doing everything they can to be as comfortable and as they want. But yeah, I don't. My suspicion is that for previous matches, there hasn't been a screen in the lounge. I think that might be one of the, the problematic changes. Um, so you couldn't really spend too much time inside the room, uh, the lounge. But I don't think there's too much you can do about it, really, because, you know, these are the best players in the world. Without a screen, they're going to analyze blindfold. They don't need to see the board. Um. I would prefer if they were at the board more often, but I do think that it's a six, seven hour time control. So we can get enough kind of photographs of them at the board that it's not that much of a problem. Um, but yeah, I think it would be, would be better from a kind of visual point of view if they were sitting at the board for, for more of the time. But I don't I don't see a, an obvious solution other than just taking the restrooms away, which I think at this point is just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, this is the contract also. It's been in the contract since last year. But you see, I, I remember last year was mostly Nepo was being criticized for going to the rooms. Magnus, for the most part, was, was at the board. I guess, you know, that's what, you know, five world championships will do. You just have that experience, right? Um, Nepo was clearly, especially in the second half of the tournament, kind of like lost his, lost his nerves after game six, which is kind of understandable in hindsight. But um, I mean, now, uh, kind of my my opinion is that if if you have, and I actually maybe somebody should do the math on this, it would take a lot of time. But I I really wonder what percentage of the time are both players away from the board? Because if it's like 80 percent, then what even is the point of having this thing over the board in the first place? Like, you know, have they like mm-hmm. give them a, a board in front of them? Jan can go to Moscow, and Ding can stay back in China. I I don't know where in China he's from, but. You know, they can go sit in some room and just make the moves with some, you know, one of these DGT boards, transmit the moves to each other. Then you go have your coffee while you're thinking like, like, what's what's the point of I mean, you know, we have all these other tournaments. I know they have lounges and stuff like that, but that's kind of different when there's like 20 other people in the room. Now it's like it's you against the opponent. This is what we're all waiting to see. We want, you know, I just played over the board tournament on on Saturday, you know. There is like that dynamic of sitting across from somebody. It matters. Like it matters. I actually have a very funny story about that. But that to me, that matters a lot. And um, no, I don't disagree. And I mean, I think one potential solution would be just to give them one lounge area rather than separate ones. That's actually smart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're both going to sit in there together. That would look even more bizarre. (laughs) They're just Um, sitting in the couch with TV thinking about the moves. But yeah, I guess that's the way it is in like other tournaments, other super tournaments. A lot of these tournaments do have kind of rest areas. Um, but I guess um, that probably, yeah, if they all have to share one, then they're less likely to just sit there for the whole time. They just go in and get a snack and then come and sit at the board. Um, but yeah, it's a, definitely it doesn't look great when you look at the click at most random points of the game and there's either no one at the board or only one person at the board. And it's usually Nepo kind of just shaking his head and like waiting for... Although game two, basically Nepo, I think, 
probably with some psychological trick, but he just did not show up to the board knowing that resignation was imminent and kind of just like forced Ding to make a few more moves that I thought was pretty, pretty savage. Yeah, I think Ding was at the board a lot more today. Um, so maybe he's feeling a bit more confident. Um, I think I think he said that in the, the press conference that he was feeling a bit more relaxed today. Yeah, he uh, said his so... friends helped him. So, you know. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got good friends with him. He's got Richie. Yeah, Richie Rapport, one of the uh, one of the apparent one of the nicest, most outspoken people in chess. Apparently, that's what I've heard. So he's just a, a genuinely good guy. That's what I've heard. Wouldn't know. Yeah, I've never heard anything bad about Richie. It always seems like a really nice guy. I've uh, talked to him a couple of times by email. So yeah, he seems seems great. I I think it's a very interesting choice. As um, not as a second, I think like he's a a perfect choice as a second because he's so creative. He's going to come up with things uh, that are just very unusual. And I think uh, from a psychological point of view, I think he's an excellent choice to have on the team because Team Nepal now knows that they don't know what to expect. Like they know Richie could throw just anything at them, so. Even just announcing that Rich is there is, uh, I think, is a really good move. I think, but I do think it's a little bit unusual having him as like. He seems to be like the lead second, you know, like he's the guy that's on site. He's uh, basically, in Magnus terms, he's the Peter Heine Nielsen, and I don't know if he's like as experienced enough as a second. He's never, I don't think he's done this kind of stuff in at this level before certainly for a world championship match mm-hmm. um and i think like for the guy who's on site the guy who's you know the main communicate because I, I i don't know for sure but i assume that you know richie is the one who's kind of communicating with the other seconds that's the way these things usually go if he's the guy on site so ding hasn't, doesn't have to do everything um that's a lot of responsibility and it, that part of it maybe kind of surprises me a little bit um, but uh, yeah, I think having Richie as part of your team for a World Championship match is a a brilliant move. I think everyone kind of expected it to be mostly Chinese players right. working with Ding, and it quite possibly is. But no, as a wild card, because uh, I mean, I think it's very similar to Magnus uh, having Dubov in, on the team. I think it's the same kind of vibe. It's the same kind of you know creative genius that's going to mix things up a bit. And yeah, it's a it's a very good pick. I think, well, the the question that I kind of have, I don't know, I've seen some speculation that Rapport might be his only second, that they're just, because Ding is known to kind of do preparation mostly on his own. Today at the press conference, he kind of asked, I, did pretty, I think it was sarcastic, but I don't know, but he asked like what a supercomputer is when they asked him what he's using for his preparation, which sort of implies that, well, you know, obviously there's a lot of mind tricks that go on in these kind of things. So for all we know, he's using some Chinese supercomputer or whatever, but... It's also just possible that his strategy is just to find these kind of weird opening novelties very early on, which is actually kind of Magnus-esque. I mean, this was the last novelty was on move four. I mean, if they're doing this constantly throughout the match, you know, a lot of Nepal's preparation is just going to go into the toilet and he's going to have to do a lot of last second work. So, you know, I saw one, I think it was Indian Express there. They said that, you know, game two is the worst world championship game ever played, which I just don't think it's objectively is not true. Like there's like that Gelfand Anand game where Boris lost in like what 18 moves or something. Like I think that one's definitely 
up there. No disrespect to Big Boris, like one of my favorite players ever. But, you know, and also they said that 4H3 was like this horrible move. I thought it was genius. I mean, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Like it, you know, all these transpositions, like into the Queen's Gambit accepted or some sort of like semi tirage sort of structures like that you get. It, it, to me, it's just brilliant. I, I was shocked that nobody's ever played it before, quite frankly. Um, yeah, I, I think 4H3 was a very good move uh, from a practical point of view. Um, but I, I do think it was a poor game from Ding. I don't think he would play anywhere near his usual level. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think it was the worst world championship match of all game of all time. Like, let's be real. Like, you know, it's, yeah, you go back to the early 1900s and 1800s, and some of these games are, yeah, they're not that high quality. It's funny because the first, my first kind of impulse about the world championship was to say, like, Oh, I don't even care about this thing. It's stupid. Then I missed game one by accident because I didn't realize it was at 5 a.m. I just didn't know. I, I kind of expected it to be a little later. I woke up at like 7 and basically I missed most of the game. So I'm like, okay, now I got to wake up at like 4.30. I woke up the next day at 4.30, watched the whole game. Today, woke up at 4.30, watched most of the game. Then I was just exhausted and went back to bed. So I clearly care. And then the second thing I kind of wanted to say is that like, oh, like, yeah, a world champion can't be like like lacks so much confidence. It's a horrible look, you know, blah blah blah. And the truth is, you know, like there's a lot of recency bias, and Ding is already picking it up. And and you know, this is you know, if he wins this now, it's a huge triumph. Like it's a, it's the power of chess, right? You overcome all the mental, the mental blocks, right? The mental barriers. That's what makes chess so difficult. Is the mental side of it too, you know. Um, so. Yeah, so I, I think I'm going to just kind of stop with the hot takes about the chess itself. And I think I'll stick, I'll keep my hot takes to the realm of, you know, the Fide's decision making and stuff like that. Because at this point, I should probably just be quiet and just enjoy the chess. Because like you said, I mean, this is the this is the biggest match of every two years or so. And, you know, it's the only time you get to see people put in months of work on chess and like show what they've got. I think that's going to be really awesome. You're not bringing one ideas, they're bringing... 20 30 ideas to the table easily you know and only use mm -hmm. one or two of them so yeah and yeah. i mean it's it is like as far as kind of rankings go if you don't have magnus you want number two against number three and we've got that um they're both in general kind of good players to follow they both like a fight um so from a chess point of view yeah this kind of this kind of match is always going to be enjoyable and I think uh, the interest will pick up towards the end of the match. Um, I don't think it's going to hit the numbers that we saw in the 2021 match. Um, not just because Magnus is not playing, but, you know, we've kind of out of the pandemic. We're away from the Queen's Gambit. Boom. There is no Magnus, which has a factor. Um, but I think we'll see kind of pretty decent viewership towards the end of the match. Um, and... Yeah, we'll see who becomes the next world champion. But I think like Ding's uh, personality, from not being kind of, he's definitely not a Magnus level of confidence, or should we say? Um, I don't think that's gonna hold him back too much because he doesn't have this the level of confidence you would accept expect from you know a twenty eight twenty player, and he was there or thereabouts. But I don't think like Wesley has that kind of aggressive confidence either and obviously he's been very close to 
catching Magnus on the rain list at one point. So right. I think that you know you can have different levels. I mean, and Fabi's not really that kind of guy either. I mean, no, I think Fabi's maybe a little bit more confident than than Wesley and Ding, but I think he's probably more close to that category than to like the Magnus Gary. Kramnik as well, I suppose. But I also think that's fairly fairly recent too, because even in the in the 2018 match, we only we saw a little bit of that, and then I think with this commentary job he did, he started to open up. Now with you know this podcast, now it seems like Fabiano. Now now we hear like kind of a, a lot more Fabiano. He seems a lot more opinionated, but it has been like a progression. I don't think in 2018 I would have expected that. I kind of saw him as a much more like timid, kind of quiet guy. Um, than how I see him now. Also, I mean, Vichy is another great example of. I think he's just like a class act. I've never kind of heard Vichy say any anything blatantly disrespectful or cockier in my. Maybe maybe when he was a young kid, you know, Tiger from Madras or whatever. But but I, I don't know if today he's. Uh, I think to the, to these days he just seems like a like a general like class act, like just very like wholesome person. So you know, there's room for yep. that. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's. I think the rest of the match will be very interesting. We'll see if Fide managed to get anything out of it. Um, one of the things that also made me laugh a little bit is they had two slogans for the match. Unstoppable Minds. And Clash of the Minds. And Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think either of them are particularly good, let's be real. But I mean, hashtag Ding Nepo 2023 is also awful. I mean, why can't you just do hashtag World Chess Championship 2023 or hashtag WCC 2023? Like, just just keep it simple. Like, just just keep it. You know, we don't we don't need to overthink this. It's because uh, people know what the World Chess Championship is now. Like that 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 is in the public consciousness to some degree. Like in my department, in my like astronomy department here, people are asking me, "Oh, are you following the the World Championship?" Like that's crazy. Like pe- people know what's going on. Like. It, some people anyway which is a start you know so mm-hmm. um i don't know i yeah, think but, it... i mean th- th- this is something that's been going on since the last match as well the the, the 2021 match their official hashtag was hashtag fide match 2021 yeah <laughs> which was not a joke it sounds like one of the dumb hashtags that i make up but that was real like they thought this was the way to promote the match and it's so what did you pick your like big chest 2023 or something yeah, that's what I went with. I went with Big Chess 2021, which was a huge success. So I thought, well, at least I'm using the word chess. So I'm using hashtag Big Chess 2023. It doesn't seem like a lot of people know that you are like, you know, you you do like a lot of the marketing stuff and well, also a lot of other things, but for Chessable, which is, of course, a sponsor of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think a lot of people really appreciate this, that you have a very... I mean, I, I also, you know... Keen-eyed observers will will note that I actually changed the name of the podcast to just 64 recently. That's purely for SEO. That's something that I think you told me last time we spoke in January. You said your SEO is bad. Um, and sure enough, I have seen just like passively, I've seen more streams come come out just because I think that semicolon for whatever reason just ruins like mm-hmm. the optimization of the search engine. I, I, I don't really don't know why, but you know, that's so... I don't know. I mean, what what's one thing you would kind of change if if you were you? Like, if there's one thing that you would just change today about how this is being marketed, what would you? Because I think it's kind of a tragedy. I, I wish more people were into this match. Um, if there was only one thing I could change at the moment, it would be. Um. So, 
Fairies seem to be kind of only loosely aware that the internet exists. And like I'm sure like on a kind of basic level, they understand that the internet is out there somewhere. Um, but beyond that, like I don't I don't know if they do. And I think one of the I think the big resource that we have in the chess world is we have like massive streamers who love chess. And like at this point, it's more or less every streamer is kind of has tried chess, has tried streaming chess, or is just a chess streamer. Like, you know, Levy and Hikaru and the Botezes are just massive streamers in general. And, you know, chess is their main thing, but the kind of numbers they get is very, very much breached into the mainstream. And I think Fide have uh, no real interest in exploiting the streamers that we have um and it, it kind of goes further than that like beyond the world championship match because this is just one match it's not such a you know it will it will end and then we think about you know the rest of the year but one of the things that uh, i kind of wanted to happen last year was at the olympiad and i had some brief discussions but it just didn't really go anywhere uh about having cameras on the boards for the streamers um because there was a few streamers that were playing in the olympiad um uh, but they weren't allowed to use cameras to film the boards i think anna Kramling was one of them but there were a few others as well um and if you see if you saw like the recent Reykjavik open mm -hmm. uh so Reykjavik are you know, as a tournament organizer, as the organizer of the most prestigious tournament organized tournament, um, I have a massive amount of respect for the guys who organize Reykjavik, uh, because they're geniuses. Um, they the way they set up their tournament. Now, Reykjavik is a, an open tournament. It's a pretty strong open tournament. You know, they get a few guys. I think they probably have 2,700 plus players in the past. They had Ivanchuk this year. Yeah, and Grandelius and all these. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a strong open, but you know, it's this is not like World League, guys. You know, Magnus isn't playing, Hikaru's not playing. None of these absolute top players are going to be there, but it's a strong open. Um, so what they had this year was they had a bunch of streamers playing. And I think similarly they had last year as well, but I think this year it was bigger. So they had this strong open and then they allowed anyone who wanted to stream more or less. I think there was uh, Dinah, Anna Crambling, uh, Alexander Botez, Simon Williams, and Eric Rosen. And I'm, maybe I'm forgetting someone. Um, but these these people were streaming. Uh, they got a camera on the board. Obviously, they have to set the stuff up, stuff up from themselves, but they had cameras on their boards and they got to stay on the DGT boards for the whole game for every round so that their games could be broadcast and the viewership numbers i think consistently for Reykjavik were thirty thousand plus now there's no open in the world that gets those kind of numbers yeah that's higher than like sinkfield cup and all those is crazy yeah for <laughs> sure like maintaining thirty thousand viewers is insane yeah it's and Reykjavik is the only tournament that's done this and it, oh. to me, this is like, I mean, obviously I come from like, my job is marketing for Chessable. So this is something that like really interests me and in how chess is marketed. But this to me is like a huge story because it's incredible. And it, and also the, the other side of that is that the, the 
two main people like i uh, i commented one of the days on simon's channel because he had commentary on his channel as well um but we you know he was hovering around maybe 500 viewers which is cool that's good but it's not massive um but the bulk of those viewers were watching anna crambling and alexander botes um which means the bulk of those thirty thousand were watching women's chess and going back to fide again you know fide seem to think that women's chess is very difficult to promote and it's doesn't it doesn't get the same kind of prominence as men's tournaments but you know we have evidence here we have numbers that people are interested in women's chess you might have to get the right kind of personalities involved but there's a there's an audience there for sure there's a massive audience and it just kind of you know until uh those streamers play in another tournament of their own accord like those those kind of viewership numbers won't be repeated because FIDE doesn't know how to put those things together. Yeah, no, I I I mean, and I remember I did commentary for for Lula Robs for her Ken, mm -hmm. you know, which uh, of course you you helped uh, organize this whole stream side and put a camera right there, and I thought that was also very cool because it does seem like the new chess meta. At least you know Botez and Crambling seem to agree also because I saw they had both of them had tweets yesterday saying. You know, DM me if you have an open tournament. I think they are, you know, they want to travel now and like, you know, conquer the OTB scene because they can. And I do have some thoughts more recently. This is not to disrespect any of these, you know, amazing women or, or streamers like Simon and all that. But the one thing I do wonder about is like, does it possibly send? Okay, but there's also a balance, right? Because on one hand, does it possibly send a message? to just people who pay that like oh these people are more important than you even if like let's say simon williams has scores like two out of nine and like should not be on one of these dgt boards you know it's just i mean he's a grandmaster that will never happen but you see my point like somebody just has an awful tournament but just because they're like a celebrity they're going to get this kind of special treatment aside from everybody else you know it is what it is yeah i mean th that stuff does happen but i mean i think the dgt boards aren't a reward um for being good at chess i think the dgt board should be used for people who have an audience like people who want to follow the games i don't think there's any rational reason for say to have two completely unknown 2400s playing on a dgt board when no one wants to follow that game and i think like someone like simon williams you know if he's playing in your tournament along with being you know, well known. He's also a very entertaining chess player. So, like, regardless of whether it's commentary or not, people are probably going to want to watch Simon's games because you know, there's always going to be stuff to watch. Right. Um. But no, I, I don't. I don't think that. And like, obviously, you should cover the top boards with the DGT boards because you know, from tournament standing points of view, it does make sense. But I think uh, having five or six boards reserved for streamers at uh, big opens is the way forward and like tournament organizers really need to be looking at uh inviting streamers to their events um and like you said we did the uh, commentary on lula's channel um when she played in Cannes in february uh now lula's only kind of around 1500 so obviously she's not a grandmaster uh but we had more or less consistently kind of 500 viewers throughout the event and 
for me personally, as a commentator, I find it much more interesting to commentate on amateur games than when I have in the past on like grandmaster games. I find find from a, like an instructional point of view, uh, explaining those positions and kind of trying to go through the thought process of an amateur was far more interesting to me and far more engaging, I think, for the audience than trying to kind of work out what a grandmaster is thinking and, you know, not really being able to question too much when you're talking about like a Magnus game because, you know, this guy knows way more than I do and he's probably got a better idea of what to play, so... Yeah, I think this. I think this is a future for chess, and I think to a certain extent, Fide are kind of a little bit restricted in what they can do with uh, that kind of event because they don't. Because a lot of streamers are not, you know, top grandmasters, and Fide events in general are kind of involving the top players. Uh, they're not going to get too many opportunities like that. But they did have opportunities at the Olympiad, um, to get kind of way bigger viewership on some of those games and they didn't really take it so yeah i'd like to see far more people doing stuff like this um i think it's kind of at the moment over the next couple of years i can see it being kind of the main focus of chess to be honest. like especially like online streaming chess i think it's a very positive step yeah i mean well i remember during the olympiad i did commentary for dina belenkaya i did like three games for her um and I had a blast. I love doing commentary. Obviously, I'm not the best. I actually think you you kind of dunked on me pretty hard on one of the Lula games uh, where I had something and you kind of just like, no, you're wrong. And I was completely wrong. And that was that was that was pretty funny, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love doing commentary. I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, and I mean, I had a blast. But why, you know, not to brag or anything, but one of the things I noticed not about me is that all of Dina's fans were coming in every single day into these games. And they were coming mm-hmm. in, they're coming to Rufer, they have the game on for, you know, four hours, five hours sometimes. It doesn't even matter if they were, like, watching, you know, seriously, you know? But I would, like, click on the viewer thing and see, and you would see mostly the same people for most of the stream. They would just have it on, you know, if an exciting thing happens. If, if I start screaming on the broadcast or some other commentator starts, you know, crying that something just happened, they're going to go flip the tap to Twitch and see what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. But they're there to support the streamer. And then when Lula was playing Ken, it was the same thing for me. You know, I was I was watching every single game, even though you know sometimes I had to wake up like early or whatever. I was I just wanted to you know support someone who you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of. You know, so now imagine like next year, because let's say I want to play the Reykjavik Open. So how exciting mm-hmm. is it for me to think, wow, I might be able to match up against Anna Kramling or Alexandra Botez. You know, I might be able to get my shot to actually play against them in an open tournament, you know, and with the camera on you and all of that, like, that's exciting. That's that, that makes you start to think like, wow, like, like, you know, I could be on TV and stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Like, I think that the meta yeah. will change. And in general, I think if open tournaments become, uh, yeah, it, 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 it kind of will make it more competitive and more people want to go and that you get bigger venues and it, there's this cascading effect, right. Over time that, that, you know, this could be the start of something. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of streamers. I think streamers should make content out of it. I mean, like chess bras, like they, when, I, when they played the Olympiad, I mean, everybody was going crazy over like Eric Hansen and the, or like even stuff like Pro Chess League. Like pe- people will just watch their streamers now. Because um, like a guy yeah. like Hikaru, he's playing at the top. You don't have to invite him, right? He's going to go to your tournament if it's a serious tournament. Yeah, you know, he's not mm-hmm. going to play open. He's just, you know, he's different level. He's world number five. And mm-hmm. Levy has quit. 
over the board chess for now. Maybe that changes with this new meta. Maybe he decides to go back, but he didn't have cameras on him. And and also, I feel like in America, it's kind of different. It's much less romantic. Like, I will just say, chess in America is a lot less romantic than in Europe or Iceland or Sunway Sitches. I mean, I had to bring my own board uh, to... And also, like, I don't know if you've heard the stories of, like, U.S. tournament bathrooms, but it's bad. It's really bad. Like, like I don't know what it is. Um, I, you know, not to slander the great organizer of the Champagne Chess Championship because I actually had a great time. I scored one out of four. Didn't play well, but like I'm going to gain rating and all that. But my point is, like, it's not. You know, maybe that's why. Maybe if Levy starts getting flown out to Spain and and Iceland and Norway or whatever, maybe he'll have a much better time. Um, no disrespect to, to, to intended. It's just like I think the scene in in the U.S. Is, is like there's a lot of work that needs to be done here too, specifically with the federation aside of, outside of St. Louis. Yeah, but I I think it's uh it could be a step forward for kind of over the board events themselves as well because like if you're looking for sponsorship and you say okay we're gonna have two hundred people here for the weekend, um that's how many people are gonna see your business or whatever then you know some business will be interested and some businesses will go okay that's not enough um but if you say you're going to see 200 people at the venue and 10,000 people are going to watch online then you're talking to a different kind of business and you're talking to for a different amount of money um so definitely like smaller over the board tournaments could be should be looking into this stuff i'm not saying you can get alexander botes to play in every single tournament <laughs> Um, but they should be looking into that. And I, I have seen that other tournaments have been kind of more receptive to this stuff, and it does seem to be heading in that direction. So I think, yeah, because there's there is a lot of chess streamers as well. Like there's an absolute ton of them. So you know you might not get the absolute top streamers at your event, but you know if you're getting three hundred uh people watching online, then that's more or less going to be more people than you have at the event and that's not you know crazy big streamer numbers that's kind of mid-range um so it's definitely possible well there you have it folks that's why you should bring me to your uh bring me to your tournaments you know one of the you know the the, the magnus carlson of chess podcasters uh no i'm not uh the podcasting scene has gotten a little crazy these days you know it's a far <laughs> cry from when uh when i first started because i'm the og no one did it before me, right? Yeah, you're the still the only podcast, aren't you? I'm the only, only, only chess, chess podcast. Pod- yeah, I think you yeah. can only be a chess podcast if you've had Mister Dodgy twice. That's that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of chess podcasts out there, now, I guess a lot of good ones too. That's the kind of the depressing part, you know. If they weren't good, I wouldn't care. But um... <laughs> yeah, no, I only really listen to the Chicken Chess Club, and that's the only one I'm really invested in. I've I've actually I've listened to a lot of their episodes. I don't listen to I think the main chess podcast that I listen to now is C Squared. Um just because I I think it's really cool like the whole production that they have around it I thought was very like impressive. But um well then of course I listen to my own when I edit. So uh my biggest fan is me. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a horrible sentence. Um yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's definitely changed. I mean, this is actually like I said, this is the 64th episode. I really did not I, I don't know if you know this, but it was around this time, maybe like almost a year ago when I had you. I think it was May 1st I uploaded the episode. So probably it was like the last week of April we recorded. But it's mm-hmm. funny because before Chespel reached out, I basically was going to quit the podcast. 
And I had told people like, I cannot do this anymore. I think I even, I I made a tweet like, you know, like my workload was getting too hard and all this. And then suddenly (laughs) I get the email (laughs) like, hey, from Chessable or maybe somebody in my DM said something. I don't don't remember how it happened. And then it was with you. And then I get the, uh, the, you know, I got Anishkiri and I got all these amazing people on the podcast. And this just like completely changed everything for me. So Mm -hmm. I actually want to thank you. Um, and everybody accessible because you guys really like changed my life. You like actually changed my life. And, and it, it, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really, it, I mean, I love accessible as a product anyway. I just bought a course yesterday. So, um, but that's all the better, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. Yeah. I'm glad that we can do stuff like this with accessible. Um, I think one of the most rewarding things about working with accessible is that we do get to help. Um, obviously we help authors because you know we publish their courses and they make good money from it. But but that I mean that's always been something I've enjoyed at Chessable because I think realistically before Chessable came along, um, if you say kind of Chessable is, I, I mean I think realistically we have overtaken books as a format. Um, but before Chessable courses, you know people would write books and. The money you make from writing a book has never been that great. Um, and when you compare it to kind of the money that goes to authors from chessable courses, it's it just is significantly more. Um, and we also kind of get opportunities to help, you know, different podcasts. We sponsor one of the other chess podcasts. I don't. It's one of the small ones, like Perpetual something. I don't. Something. I don't know the guy too well um benny benny something benny j yeah, ben ben something i don't know seems like a nice guy i mean i hope he does well yeah i hope he does well. um but it, it, yeah it's quite rewarding to be able to kind of help good content like that um and also you know with sponsoring like tournaments and stuff the you know we're kind of heavily involved with the cgs sunway open which has been pretty good so yeah it's that's one of the nicer things i get to do it's part of my job. It's, you know, get to give cool people money. Or yeah. at least some sponsorship. Or some free courses. I've yep. got like two, three free courses from you guys. Two, I think. Pretty good. They're the best ones, the free ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I was yeah. looking through Chessable. This is not an ad, by the way. So doesn't anyone wants to yell at me. It's not an ad. But I was looking through um, some of the free Chessable courses for a friend yesterday and i was like i'm always kind of stunned at how much free content there is on chessable like obviously all your listeners should pay for the content you know you should buy the courses um but the short and free short and sweet stuff and the free lessons there was like an hour-long lecture by jonathan rouse and there's an hour i think 45 minutes by simon williams on michael tal Again, like two hours of video of like Simon Williams talking about Tal. And you can just go on Chessable and get the stuff for free. It's crazy. Then you should buy the course, obviously. That's my main point. But... <laughs> That's that. <laughs> but I, a lot of people don't know this. I've actually published a two-part course on Chessable. Um, a lot of people don't know this. I've used the alias, you know, because nobody's going to listen mm-hmm. to me. So I actually, I like, I've used my name as GM Peter Svidler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote about my favorite opening, the Grunfeld, part one, ah, part nice. two. So like a lifetime repertoire. Um, now I just use the name of some random GM because like, you know, it's easier for me to get my stuff across. 
but of course, of course. a lot of people don't know this but yeah that's like that is like my life's work basically so i'm very proud of it and you guys should check that out yeah i've seen that course it's pretty decent yeah that's what and i And you did a really good impression of uh an eight-time russian champion when you recorded the 60 hours of video yeah, yeah that was that was insanely difficult i mean the costume and uh, getting the accent right is very difficult but i mean I'm, I'm glad it worked out so um yeah i mean i don't know i i i just just got a little sentimental there but but it's uh it's, it's been a good ride and um i am so actually what's funny is after i played my over the board tournament i started recording on obs i started recording like a game game recap basically i have all the games you know, written mm-hmm. down, I'm on my phone, looked at it with my coach. But like, it's just, I can't record anything on here. Now, the good news is I recently got like some fellowship for research, but it also means that I will just be getting paid more money. Like I've got a higher salary. So um, good news, guys. I will finally, you know, commit to my promise of like starting to do video episodes and, and YouTube and stuff like that. Because I will pretty soon, I will actually be able to to kind of afford to do that. Um, which should change the trajectory of the podcast. I want to stream a lot more, and so I'm I'm very excited for that. So so, and also I have some chess projects I've worked I've been working on. So you guys should stay tuned for that. I have some some cool stuff I've been working on. So yeah, that's very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing that stuff. And we were talking about these world championship recaps. This has been kind of my uh, thing. New thing that I've learned this week is that firstly everyone's doing a world championship recap, so the market is very entertaining but we've uh we've been recording them for the chicken chess club and we don't usually do videos we usually just do audio but obviously for a recap we kind of need a chessboard so we've been watching the games each day where uh, jan's been doing commentary so he really has to watch the game and then as soon as the game ends you know we jump in a zoom call and we record and Every well for the first three days, Hikaru and Levy have published their videos when we were halfway through recording. And I don't even know how they managed to do this because like we still have to finish recording and then upload and then it has to be processed. And it's incredible. I don't know how they do it so quickly. I think they have to start before the game ends. At this well, Hikaru did start the first recap because I watch his. I watch every recap. I I get flamed for this, but I'm a Hikaru fan. Like I've watched, I've watched him for now. It's like basically six years almost. Like I've been, he's a guy that got me into chess. I'm never gonna give up on my boy Hikaru, right? Whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know. <laughs> but uh, I I've watched every one of his recaps. Game one, the game was still going on, and he recorded. That was ridiculous. Like that was just absolutely ridiculous. I I mean. You know, aside from the fact that, yeah, the position looked drawn and he was kind of expecting it. But imagine how awkward it is if he gets to the move where they're waiting and then he's like, oh, well, yeah, that's about it. It'll end soon. Like that's, you know, I wasn't going to do that. So that's like a gamble. But I don't know if it's just like the intuition or whatever. But they're also they're well edited. And I have to say, it is funny to me. I don't know if this is indictment on Twitch or whatever, but everybody seems to be moving back to YouTube now, which is not how it was during the pandemic. Right. So something happened with Twitch. I don't know if there's just, you know, people are not super excited about Twitch anymore or if Twitch hasn't been treating their creators. I don't know or really care about Twitch politics right now, but mm-hmm. it's been interesting because I see a lot more Botas content there. Hikaru's making a lot of original content. Levy's been the king of YouTube for like ever. So even I see people like Anamaya and Anna Crambling, like they're, they're making a ton of stuff on YouTube now, like YouTube only content, like 
you know, not just stream highlights. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long term, YouTube is probably more sustainable for content creators um, because you can kind of scale it in a way that Twitch just doesn't scale. You know, you you can obviously get get more money as you get more viewers and more subscribers on Twitch, but you're basically committed to streaming for X amount of hours every day. And if you stop streaming, you stop getting paid. Mm -hmm. um, whereas YouTube, there's probably a bit more flexibility. I think you probably burn out. You you can definitely burn out on YouTube as well, but I think it's less strenuous for creators. Um, like someone like Agad Matter, who has uploaded, I know he's had a you know a couple of breaks, but you know he's basically uploaded a video every day for the last five years or so, and I don't think it's realistic to be that consistent on Twitch. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think YouTube, uh, Twitch has definitely been kind of cutting down on the amount of money they give to creators, and yeah, I think this the whole new thing with Kick will be. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with Kick. I'm not particularly optimistic about their business model. Um, but it's healthy for streamers to have a rival to Twitch. So it's uh, it should overall it should be a positive thing for the streamers and to a certain extent the viewers as well. Um that you know Twitch has a serious rival in the live streaming space because YouTube just doesn't seem capable of uh, being a rival in live streaming. I don't know why. Um, but they just don't seem to be able to kind of work it out. So yeah, I think it's a. It'll be interesting over this the rest of the year. I mean, I don't think Kick is going to be able to keep giving out money the way they're giving out money, and it definitely reminds me of Mixer. And also, there's you know Kick is funded by crypto gambling, which is not morally great. No. Nope. But uh, hey, I mean, most of the chess.com tournaments as of a year ago was overfunded by crypto tournaments. I mean, like not crypto tournaments, by crypto. There's a lot of crypto there. I mean, the gambling is worse. It's actually stake, I think, specifically, which is a whole other like stake. That company stake is, is that they're they're a whole rabbit hole. You guys should watch YouTube videos about there. Like, that's a crazy, crazy company. But um, but, you yeah, know, I, I think I don't think crypto is great. And I don't <clears throat> I'm not a fan of crypto sponsorships for anyone. Including, you know, the tournaments for the companies that I've worked for. I'm not a fan. Um, but it's not I don't think crypto on its own is you know, devastatingly bad. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think it's great. I don't think gambling is great either. Um, but obviously, you know, like most people I've gambled on things in the past, so I don't feel too strongly about it within moderation. But crypto and gambling is like a really dangerous combination because it removes all of the safeguards from gambling uh, about kind of age restrictions and the ability to like self-exclude yourself because there's no way to track crypto and like I don't <laughs> like you know children can use crypto gambling websites because it's untraceable and I think that kind of stuff is super sketchy like I yeah, I, I don't I, think I'll be streaming on Kick anytime soon. 
Well, I mean, I was going to break the news to everybody, but I guess I should just just kind of not break it right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm not streaming on Kick. Also, I don't watch Ikaru on Kick because I uh, I just don't want to support Kick. I think it's you know I prefer Twitch. YouTube, why I don't think they'll ever be competitive really as a streaming site is just because, um, like quite frankly, I think you saw this with OpenAI too, like beating them to the chase with ChatGPT or like basically this like large language model. I don't think Google really takes risks in the way that they probably did when they started. I think they play things very safe. And I think what works for them right now works for them. And they've just been passively letting Twitch destroy themselves. But I don't think they're really interested in taking any risks and like changing the UI or changing the way that YouTube streaming works. So that's kind of why I don't think they'll ever really be a serious competitor unless you know amazon gives up on twitch or just kind of collapses that's kind of how i feel even like yeah but i mean if twitch collapses then youtube don't really have to do anything right and Um, it's happening anyway right like ludwig left biggest streamer on twitch basically he left and i mean you have to like literally download add-ons on your google chrome to get like the emotes as they were on twitch like to get that like open ttv or the equivalent right you have to like you take it like an extra step but people still do it right like because they want to support him and he still gets huge numbers so I don't know, um, but I want to start. Yeah, making... I mean, I think they just need to make a page where you just you can see the live streamers for each section. They should just copy Twitch. Like Kick did it. They literally like took Kick... the source code. <laughs> <laughs> this is what YouTube should do. And made it green. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how they haven't been sued yet. I really don't know. How, like, I don't know. I, I, it's to me, it's 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 astonishing. I guess it's just like if you do something that egregious, like you just don't get punished for it, or maybe they're waiting for like a, you know, to hit him with a, a Hans Neiman lawsuit, hundred million or whatever. Wait for that. Yeah, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about the Hans Neiman lawsuit. Yeah, I don't think I've, I. <laughs> as I a, mean, as an employee of Chess.com, I don't think I. <laughs> no, he is yeah. playing just now. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he got. He's got. I mean, I, I hope. I hope that his uh, chess career comes back. I think you know. You know, there's no. Again, there's no. I'm not a fan of Hans. You could watch my only YouTube video where I go into the lawsuit and talk about how it's stupid. But um, I'm not asking you to talk about the lawsuit. But I, all I'm saying is, uh, I, I actually, I do genuinely wish the best for his chess career. Like, I, I hope that he's able to bounce back and prove that he's, you know, he's that guy, like 2700 yeah, I mean, plus. That, that's my hot take about Hans. Is that in a lot of ways, I'm the real victim. Um, because I think if you go, if we forget about any of the cheating stuff, any of the lawsuit, we just, you know, push that to one side. Before that, Hans was crazy. He was doing these crazy interviews. He was saying wild stuff. He was, you know, saying some stuff about other players. Very entertaining, very aggressive. And I think in a lot of ways. I deserve someone like that in the chess world. And the fact that he has been kind of, you know, to some extent kind of pushed into the background. He's done this to himself, I think, because he's keeping quiet at the moment. I think that's unfair to me as a someone who enjoys Twitter and likes to tweet about crazy people and <laughs> crazy chess players. Like, I feel like I'm losing out. And, you know, nothing would make me happier than... For this whole thing to just go away and we can have someone like hans who's just you know saying some stuff i could say some crazy stuff you need someone to say crazy i could be crazy yeah but you're not you're not a 2700 
Grandmaster. You don't Which, know that. You know, I think I do think Hans is a twenty seven hundred Grandmaster. Like, I don't think anyone is really arguing he's not at this point. Um, whether he's you know a twenty eight fifty Magnus beating Grandmaster is maybe up for debate, but um, he's incredibly strong. And yeah, I, I hope this whole thing just kind of goes away and he gets back into playing at least some of the elite tournaments, he gets back into being interviewed and, you know, I think he can have a pretty good career that way. I mean, I'm not, I do regard cheating online as, I think it's as serious as cheating over the board. So, you know, there should be consequences for people who have cheated online, but, you know, once a certain amount of time has passed, uh, we need to welcome him back. Yeah, I mean, I believe in restorative justice and all of that. Like, I don't think somebody is... Actually, it's funny. I bought Fire on Board by Shirov on Chessable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what am I... I read one of the things is like, Shirov talks about in the first chapter how he later would work with Igor Rouses. He was like a Latvian Grandmaster. And I sort of just laughed because then we find out, you know, it's 20 years later that the guy's, you know, a huge cheater. But then, like, that book was written in, like, what, 96 or something? The first first part of it. So I just left. I was like, wow, that's funny. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you don't know. How, you don't know what people are going to turn out to be or whatever. You know, some a cheater could end up becoming, you know, changing and becoming really anti-cheating and stuff like that and, and vice versa. You know, I I, I mean, I, I think online cheating should be punished, like, over the board cheating. At the same time, I think, you know, if somebody cheated a couple of times on chess.com no money some 1400 and then he's like oh i want to get serious about chess i'll never do that again maybe he didn't even realize it was that bad i mean whatever i don't really judge too hard it's bad don't defend it but definitely different from you know cheating at title tuesday yeah and i think you know there needs to be clear consequences for cheating i mean i think it's something that fide has i'm a little bit more skeptical of fide being involved with this stuff because i don't think they have the expertise or the ability to detect cheating uh particularly online but like realistically over the board i don't think fide's anti-cheating methods have caught a single person well, also, I mean, no disrespect to Kenneth Regan, but there was that there was that incident, recent incident, right? And one of these lead, one of these, I, I forget where, but somebody got caught cheating, and I think the FIDE anti-cheating people said, "Oh, we don't see any cheating," and the guy literally got caught like a day later. Like, mm-hmm. so we know that this doesn't work now, like empirically, because you know this thing should yeah. should catch most people. But uh, but my point was like cheating should be taken so seriously that like it should be FIDE's responsibility this should go under their jurisdiction i i would i don't think they're anywhere close to being able to like make rulings like that when it comes particularly when it comes to online chess which is why they've just kind of stayed out of it as much as possible um but the reason that it should be fide's responsibility is because they should be independent and they should be able to give like set consequences you know you should they should basically be like the judicial system, you know, you get caught cheating, you get banned for one year, whatever. Second offense, three years, whatever. There should be clear guidelines and there should be clear consequences. And then that gives a route to re- rehabilitation for people that, you know, 
you can make a mistake. It's like people make mistakes. It's not, it shouldn't be like the end of anyone's life. Um, unless you're like really repeatedly doing this over and over again. Um, but there should be a way back for people. And at the moment, because there's no like clear punishments, there's no clear route back into chess for someone who's his name has been tarnished, whether they've tarnished their names themselves or or not, doesn't really matter. Um, there's just no way for them to come back in a kind of clear way because right. they're not getting punished. And, you know, I think there has been people who have been caught in the past that for a lot of people, they won't, they'll never be accepted back into the chess world. You know, Rouse's, there's a lot of people who would never play a game against Rouse's or Feller or um, Tal Baron is another one who confessed. I'm being careful to, you know, right, I understand only mention people who have actually been. Yeah. I don't know. Did he actually confess? Yeah, he confessed, um, but he also said it was because Picard was cheating against him, which was... <laughs> I mean, you say what you want about Hikaru. Um, there's no way in hell that that guy is cheating on... In, you know, there's there's just no, no way. No, I don't... Like, he, I think he does have this um, almost engine-like ability not to blunder. Like yes. his his lack of blunders, especially under time trouble, is just incredible. Like, but I don't think it's suspicious. It's just yeah, no, he's, he's just insane. Yeah, it's just you know when it comes to fast chess, he's just one of the best two players in the world. Like, yeah, I don't know if I've ever told the story before. But I I remember last year my coach was um we're supposed to do a lesson, and he says I can't coach you right now. So he's on the Zoom call. He's like Hikaru just ch challenged me. Because he's online. My coach is like almost 3,000 blitz. They play two games. And my coach is completely winning first game. Finds a brilliant move. So up plus three. And I remember my, my coach was down on time. And my suddenly, like, you know, it's one thing when you watch it, you take it for granted. But I'm hearing my coach, like, kind of talk about it on the Zoom call. And he's like, because we're supposed to start a lesson. Like, you know, so what I'm paying for. But he's like, this guy's moving too fast. He's like, he's just moving too fast. Suddenly, my coach blunders into a drawn position, like Bishop endgame, and suddenly he loses. Like, mm -hmm. and Hikaru didn't, like you said, did not make any blunders, some mistakes, but he didn't hang a piece or anything. And then the mm -hmm. same thing happened the second game. My coach was like, you know, draw, 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 draw. He pushes on, pushes on, but he's lower on time. Hikaru is like moving like this, instantly just loses. And I was watching from the other side. I always watch Hikaru from the, you know, the winner perspective. Now I'm watching him. No, I'm not rooting for Hikaru over my boy Ori. Like it's just not happening. And then Hikaru is like, "Oh no, Chad, he I can't adopt him, Chad. No, he's too strong, Chad. Like I can't, you know." So, so then that was the whole. So then they ended, and then they did their lesson. But that was like super cool. Like that's one of my favorite uh, chess experiences ever. Yeah, chess that was pretty cool. I mean, I the I played Hikaru a very very long time ago. I think it's maybe the only time I played him, but it was on ICC, and they used to have these bullet tournaments. I think it was like every. Monday or Tuesday, they had these like bullet cash prize tournaments. And after five rounds, there was only the two of us on five out of five. So, like, we had to be paired against each other. And he destroyed me. And I don't think I lost every game after that, but it was pretty close. Like, it's like mid table or something. Like yeah. But, yeah. While I'm well, bragging as well, we should talk about what we mentioned at the start then. The Olympics. Olympic, Olympic champion now as well. I'm very proud of this, by the way. So you're going to play for, for Scotland or Sweden in the Olympics? What Have you decided? 
Well, I mean, I'm not going to qualify to the main event. Let's be real. Um, well, not with that attitude. So the chess.com and FIDE and the Olympics are organizing this eSports Olympics in Singapore in June or July, I think. So they had the first online qualifiers. And so I was just planning that I would play a bunch because there was a ton of these qualifiers. It was like 20. And I thought I'll play some of them. I'll I'll probably do some of them on stream because you know it's content and we'll see if I can actually get through to the next stage. So I played in the very first Olympic qualifier and somehow just managed to crush everyone. I don't really know how it happened. It was the titled players weren't allowed to play. Like this is why I was able to win. <laughs> um but there was still, you know, some quite strong players. I wasn't the highest rated by a long shot and I yeah, but you're I'm something like 2,500 blitz on chess.com, right? Like you're. Yeah, about 2,400. Yeah. So we can. I'm not a it. bad blitz player, but yeah, it was uh, fun. And then the next stage. So the next stage is uh, all the title players get to join along with uh, qualifiers from the untitled ones. So that starts tomorrow. Oh, really? And yeah. I know what I'm I'll watching. I'll get crushed, but. Gonna put has like slash follow. What is it like, dodgy chess or something? Um, I don't know if I'll stream. It'll be at Mister Dodgy on Chess dot com. Um, but yeah, it'll be like kind of like I'll actually get to play Title Tuesday because I don't get to play them because I don't have a title. So I should get some fun games against strong players, which is really the main reason that I play in these things. Like I played in the Fisher Random World Championship Open qualifiers as well, and it's for me, it's just nice to get to play against very strong players. Um, so hopefully yeah. I'll get some fun games and get crushed by someone very good. Yeah, I that's mean, I, that's, that's honestly like the fact that now, like, you know, about once a week, I'll, you know, at least if I'm playing at top form, I'll run into like a national master or a FIDE master, like on the rapid pool and like actually get to play them and even beat them every now and then like that, that literally makes my, that, that just makes my, my, my week. Like I just love the, getting those opportunities. That's like that's like my main inspiration. Like my main driver of getting better at chess is just to play better people, and start beating them. Like that's that's the only thing I really want, and uh, that's also why I want to get on YouTube so I can show people my my quest to get the national master title because I think I can do it in a couple of years. So you know, follow me on YouTube, yep. guys. And uh, yeah, I think last thing I'll ask you: Do you have you know it's been sixty four episodes? Do you have any any feedback for the podcast from marketing perspective? Anything I could be doing better, worse? Well, I mean, I definitely listened to all 64 episodes. So, you know, and multiple times as well. I'm ah, a connoisseur. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think you've got a, you've got a good style. Yeah. These are pretty relaxed, chilled out. You've got a good selection of guests as well. I've been pretty impressed with your list of guests. Um, you've got a wide variety of people. So, you're just saying that because I've had you twice. No, but you've had, uh, you know, like really important people like Amelia and, you know, some random chess players like Peter Fiddler, And, you know, it's a good range. Pretty good range. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, it's been good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the next 64, guys. So stay tuned and hope you guys enjoy the pod. And I guess uh, with all that, I will uh, bid you farewell. Daji, thank you for coming. We will talk again soon, I'm sure. And um, take care, everyone been uh it's been a great ride so far and i'm very grateful for all the support and uh 
yeah, stay tuned for some YouTube recaps of some terrible over the board games. So uh, yeah, be well. Thanks for having me. Of course, and thanks for listening to 64 Chess Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at 64Pod. Uh, if you're not following Mr. Dodgy on Twitter, uh, I really don't know what you're doing on Chess Twitter. It's uh, at Chess Problem. You got it. You just you have to. I really don't know what to say. Um, and uh, thanks, Chessbull, for sponsoring the podcast as always. Uh, Chessbull.com slash 64 podcast for my favorite courses. Patreon.com slash 64 podcast. I have blundered with my Patreon. Apparently, the links were not. I was wondering why my Patreon just fell off completely. It's because my Patreon links were not working in the bios of the. Or not bios, the descriptions of the episodes. I'm really sorry about that, but you can check that out if you want to support the pod financially. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Take it easy. I'll see you next week. Cheers.